My name is Ben Greenfield, and on this episode of the Ben Greenfield Life Podcast... I would see things in the spirit realm that were very transcendent, uh, that affected my heart, affected my soul, and that showed me things of the afterlife and showed me things, the essence and the reality of things that I was wrestling with in that moment. Faith, family, fitness, health, performance, nutrition, longevity, ancestral living, biohacking, and a whole lot more. Welcome to the show. All right. One of my favorite not carbohydrate, not fat, not protein, little known secret macronutrients is now back in stock. It's called ketones. The ones I use are made by HVMN. They're called Ketone IQ. They're perfect for staving your appetite for hours on end, running from meeting to meeting when you can't get food, any type of endurance activity, because ketones are a great fuel for the heart, for the liver, for the diaphragm. Anytime you want a great amount of portability, convenience on an airplane, it's amazing because you're not even tempted at all by any food the whole time you're sitting on the airplane. Ketones are 28% more efficient at generating energy than sugar alone. That means you can do a lot more with a lot less, especially when your body gets pushed to limits because ketones help you convert stored fat into energy. And then with Ketone IQ, you can actually get that without having to fast and excessively restrict carbohydrates. They created this stuff through a $6 million contract from the U.S. Department of Defense, deep partnerships with some of the top researchers in ketone science. It's a truly cutting-edge drink. It avoids the insulin spikes, the caffeine jitters, the mid-afternoon energy crashes. Super simple. You just throw this stuff back. I'll toss back a shot straight out of the bottle. Some people like to mix it with a little water, stevia, stuff like that. But either way, HVMN stands by their products 100%. All right, if you're not satisfied, your order is free. That's how much they believe, and I believe, in the power of ketones. Been using them for years and years. Here's how to get 20% off of any purchase of Ketone IQ. You go to hvmn.me slash beng. hvmn.me slash beng. Use code beng. That gets you 20% off of any purchase of Ketone IQ. You can also find them at any California Earth Bar locations, which are usually within a, an Equinox. So check them out, hvmn.me slash Ben G. All right, so you've probably heard about these so-called gas station dick pills. I know, I said it. You didn't, that's okay, I said it. They give you like, you know, these four-hour erections with nasty side effects and heart problems and sweaty palms and a possible trip to the hospital. Lord knows what other colors and agents they have in those things. And then Viagra is just like, dude, that's like, the nuclear bomb. It's like pulling out all the stops. What if you want to just go natural? Well, there is this stuff called Joy Mode. Joy Mode. It's a great name. Uh, it's all natural. It's all natural. So everything in it helps to promote nitric oxide production, penile tissue relaxation, increased drive. And it works for ladies too. My wife has been taking it before sex. She loves it. It has uh, arginine and yohimbi and L-citrulline and vitamin C in it. It was created by this scientific team to actually support erection quality and firmness, blood flow, sex drive. It's all natural and it works. It gives you good energy too, honestly. Like, so you, there's that. So there's no need for, you know, have an espresso before date night or whatever. You just mix it with six to eight ounces of water. Or if you're like me, just dump it straight into your mouth. It's like an electrolyte packet kind of. So you get 20% off this amazing new supplement. You go to usejoymode.com slash greenfield or enter code greenfield at checkout for 20% off your order. That's usejoymode.com slash greenfield and use code greenfield for 20% off of this stuff.
All right, so whole body wellness is obviously a big part of my life. I'm always looking for new ways to make my body feel great, make my brain feel great. One non-negotiable for me is a daily dose of red light. I can use it to simulate sunlight. I can use it to simulate sunrise, sunset, right in my office, bringing the sun into my own office. The infrared light spectrum is fantastic for boosting cellular energy, for healing damaged cells that are under oxidative stress. There's a ton of clinically proven benefits to it. Better skin, higher testosterone, better blood flow to the whole body, pre-workout or post-workout for recovery. Use them in your office at night when you don't want to flip on all the bright lights, but you want that giant dose of soothing red light therapy. And what I go to is Juve for my red light. They source from the highest quality materials. They got medical grade components. They went through third-party testing. They have safety marks from nationally recognized testing laboratories. They give you the safest, most reliable product. It's unmatched. There's a lot of red light companies out there, but Juve is unmatched. They have a whole body treatment device. I can treat my whole body in 10 to 20 minutes. I do it once a day. They even have a little handheld device called the Juve Go. I can throw in my suitcase and take with me on the go. Barely weighs anything. And so I can do my red light when I'm in my hotel room anywhere in the world. This stuff just works. It travels through TSA too, also just fine. So juve.com slash Ben, J-O-O-V-V.com slash Ben. Apply my code Ben to your qualifying order, and you can feel what infrared's actually like in terms of a big upgrade in your health. J-O-O-V-V.com forward slash Ben, and you're going to get an exclusive discount on your first order when you use my code Ben on your qualifying order. Well, folks, my guest on today's show is a two-peter, if that's even a word. He's a two-parter, two-peter. He's a repeat guest. Uh, his name is Paul Reese. He's a really interesting guy. He actually wrote a book a while back that I read, uh, not not too long ago, but uh, it was a few months. Uh, it was called The Psychedelic Christian. That's right, The Psychedelic Christian. And we actually did this whole episode on like the intersection of plant medicines and Christianity, uh, on microdosing, on accessing spiritual realms, on DMT, and a lot more because Paul has a unique perspective as a guy who's done a lot of psycho nodding, so to speak, but then is also a Christian and has developed some unique perspectives on this whole intersection of plant medicine and Christianity over the years. Uh, he also, if you listen to our previous episode, which I'll link to in the show notes, if you go to bengreenfieldlife.com slash Christian Psychedelic 2, bengreenfieldlife.com slash Christian Psychedelic, the number two. Uh, has engaged in a whole bunch of other interesting things. So not only has he taken a crap ton of psychedelics from DMT to salvia to 2CB and 2CI and LCD and mushrooms, uh, but he's also built uh, and written a book about tiny homes. He has a book called Kind of Tiny Home, an unorthodox approach to building and owning your own tiny home. If that's something that you happen to be interested in, that is in no way relevant to what we'll discuss on today's show, but interesting nonetheless. Uh, he lives in Texas. Uh, he's a home builder and uh, works with a company called Hayhurst Brothers. Uh, he's married to Brittany Reese. They have a 23-year-old daughter, and uh, he's into philosophy and travel and life. And uh, when he has nothing else to do, coming on this show. Oh, and by the way, just so you guys know, he's got a fitness background. He was a personal trainer formerly for clients on ABC's Extreme Makeover Show. Uh, he was a personal trainer, chef, and life coach for Average Joe on the Raw, which is a documentary on Food Matters TV. He himself ate 100% raw vegan for a couple of years while at the same time he was living off grid with no electricity for a year. Uh, not raw vegan anymore. He says he now eats intuitively. We talked a little bit about this on our last podcast. And he's also led a ton of like uh, like cleanses uh, as the CEO of something called Cleanse America. I think I covered it all. Didn't I, Paul? <laughs> yes, that's perfect. All right. Well, 
Uh, there, there's obviously tons of things we could talk about with your extensive history and everything from tiny homes to gut cleanses. But I obviously want to talk today about the whole plant medicine piece because it's something that, as you know, I wrote an article series about a few months ago. I've been getting lots of questions about it, and I didn't want this whole podcast just turn into me and my own voice and not listen to the perspectives of other people and the interesting ideas that they might bring to the table. So before we jump into some of the things that, that I want to ask you specifically related to your own perspective on this, can you just rehash for people who didn't get a chance to listen to our former podcast, uh, your interest in and use of plant medicines, like how you kind of kind of got, I don't know how, how you say drugified or whatever in the first place? <laughs> oh yeah so um raised in a christian household and i never drank alcohol never took any drugs uh, until i was 18 and left uh, my parents house went to college and uh, i have amazing christian parents uh, my mother's past but uh gave me a fantastic upbringing uh rebelled against god around the age of 12 out of fear kind of hardened my heart I uh, started looking for hypocrisy in the church and in the Bible. And uh, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, that's pretty easy to find. It's pretty easy to find if you if you do or you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Hypocrisy and well, not just the church, but in every every <laughs> sector of life. It seems human beings have a bent towards uh, saying one thing and doing another, right? Uh, yes, and that's even a reflection of me sometimes. So. In college, you know, I took mushrooms and I smoked weed and, you know, drank. And I didn't ever really like drinking, but I found out that I like to uh, smoke weed and I like to uh, take mushrooms. It was really interesting and fun to me, but it was more recreational at the beginning. And uh, I'd say around the age of 21, I went through a marriage of about three and a half years um, and it ended in divorce and it ended in a tremendous amount of pain and uh, left me dealing with some very deep spiritual issues that I did not have a foundation um, for understanding or did I have the spiritual wisdom or maturity to know how to deal with any of it. And so I found that I started taking mushrooms and becoming more intentional in that journey. And uh, so, yeah, I'd say... Over the course of a decade, uh, close to a thousand times. I mean, once you, you know, I just kind of know how many times I did them for over the course of like four or five years, by five days a week. And so just kind of doing the math. But um, yeah, so that's kind of a very, very short version of <laughs> there's all kinds of stories mixed into that uh, yeah. decade with uh, relationships. Oh, yeah, sure. And, and we talked about some of those other stories in, in our. Another podcast for sure. I just want to give people yep. the basic overview. And by the way, when you say you did mushrooms like a thousand times, I'm assuming you're not talking like microdosing with mushrooms. You're like tripping out, journeying. Like how, how hefty of a dose are we talking? I would say not very often where I was doing heroic doses, but uh, definitely to the point of hallucinating. Uh, sometimes whenever I'd go to work, I, I was a waiter at the time, also pedicabbing in uh, Austin, Texas, pulling people around on bikes and mm -hmm. making jewelry. And um, so I took mushrooms a lot while I did all of those things. Uh, and sometimes I would uh, take other drugs to kind of balance out the slippery part and make me sharper. Mm -hmm. But yeah, most of the time, I'd say I'd, some of it was microdosing, um, but that was... I, I wasn't super attracted to microdosing. And back then, all this language didn't even exist. I don't think microdosing was even an expression. 
whenever I engaged mm. these things back then, they were kind of fringe. But I would say that I usually ate them with the intent to hallucinate. Yeah. What do you think about microdosing now? Because, I mean, with this, this might just like get us straight into a little bit more of a broad range of discussion on all of this. But, you know, I, I wrote in the article series that I recently did on plant medicines that I think that there is perhaps a time and a place for some of these things that God planted on the planet. And one of them could be to increase sensory perception and to take what is indeed a sub-perceptual dose of a substance to just be able to think a little bit more creatively or focus or something like that with no hallucinating or drooling out the mouth or you know doing ecstatic dance whatsoever. What, what are your thoughts on taking, taking uh, sub-perceptual doses of some of these plant medicine compounds? Man, I, that's, that's probably one of the deeper things I wrestle with, and um, intellectually uh, and biblically, I would say that um, to be biblically honest and to be intellectually honest, I don't see any reason in doing um, a small amount of mushrooms to the point where you're not hallucinating. And so, um, where I my issue is is that I'm feeling this tug in my spirit, even in saying that because of the perception and the programming that is happening around mushrooms. And so if somebody were to take my words and be like, yeah, there's a guy who did them a bunch of times and he said, like, it's cool to do small amounts, but then they do a small amount and they're opening themselves up because I, they're using me as an example. And then all of a sudden they listen to a podcast. It's like, well, if you're doing a small amount, you should try this. And then all of a sudden they are a uh, psychonaut and opening up their uh, spirit to realms they're not uh, familiar with or prepared for. And it could be very detrimental to their spirit and their soul. And um, so that's kind of that that has been coming up in me. And I think mm -hmm. it's just the timing of reality right now. And just like because this information is everywhere and it's so popular that it's almost hard to have an innocent relationship with the with the substance right now. Yeah. So it's kind of like the slippery slope fallacy. It's like, well, if you try a little bit, you might wind up trying a little bit more, almost like a little bit of like a, a gateway drug argument. Well, perhaps, but mm -hmm. I would say less of a gateway drug and more of a. Um, if someone has a inclination towards spiritual growth outside of God and just personal development, uh, if they uh, achieve a small amount of growth through taking a microdose, the logical next step would be to take a little bit more. And so, you know, I would say that uh, I believe God created the mushroom. I believe he created receptors in our body to process it. I believe that it can have value for people who have PTSD, anxiety, depression, like we've seen the studies on that now. Um, but what I don't have comfort is, is if there's a million people that do that, what percentage of that, uh, number, um, then engages in them to a higher degree towards mm -hmm. detrimental to them. And so, yeah, you know, that's kind of the wrestling match I have, uh, with it, honestly. And I, I would say it's probably spiritually safer not to engage with them, but biblically, uh, I think the guidelines are to, your helmet of salvation to have that strong, to be sober minded, to be of a sound mind, mm -hmm. and to not be a stumbling block. And I don't think that microdosing falls into any of those categories as far as going against what the Bible teaches. Yeah. Well, I mean, to, to give you my take on it, like I'm, I'm perfectly okay with microdosing with whatever LSD or Wachuma or psilocybin or you know even uh, alcohol, for example. I say I microdose with because I have a small amount in the evenings with dinner nearly every night, even though I know alcohol is a lot different because it's very difficult to drink too much alcohol and enter into some strange spiritual world where you wind up 
putting yourself at risk of getting, you know, possessed or or exposed mm-hmm. to dark entities or or that type of thing. I think there is a region that the Bible differentiates between alcohol and pharmacia or many of these other drugs. I think that is the reason because these other drugs can be used for divination with the gods or experiencing other spiritual realms in a far more intense manner than one would be able to do by, say, drinking a whole bottle of wine. But that being said, I also acknowledge the fact that if I am taking small subperceptual doses of something that if taken in large amounts could allow any human being to cross into kind of like Chronicles of Narnia wardrobe, like this <laughs> spiritual realm that's maybe not just all sunshine and rainbows and unicorns, but in fact involves some dark entities and demons and the type of things that might result in schizophrenia and bipolar and and really change a human being, you know, temporarily, if not permanently. I'm very careful and much more careful now than I used to be with where these type of things are kept around the house, right? And uh, whether they're treated casually versus given a little bit more intention with their use and how high up on a shelf or in a refrigerator they are when it comes to their ability to be grabbed by a small child, you know? And so I think that you just have to proceed with a great deal more respect and caution than I think a lot of people do. And as you alluded to earlier, assure yourself and others around you that you have the self-control not to on the weekend, just because you happen to have 10 grams of mushrooms around that were supposed to last you for three months, take, you know, half or all of it and just see what happens. Like that's just, that's where, where the risks are. But, you know, and, and and speaking of taking, you know, whatever, 10 grams of mushrooms, like you mentioned, you did this a lot for visions and you did this a lot for, for tripping and for, for revelations. But how is that any different than, let's say, what someone might experience if they were like in an ecstatic worship session at church or say like in their home, you know, doing devotions and prayer and suddenly being you know, as they say, swept up in the Holy Spirit and starting to see visions and tingling in the fingertips and all these things that can be had in the absence of plant medicine. Like, how do you differentiate the two? Like, like what's the difference between like a personal vision or revelation that someone would attribute to like the Holy Spirit versus a psychedelic experience? That's a great question. And, you know, in, in the same line, you know, what's the difference in a dream or if I go ride my bike 100 miles and I hallucinate through exertion at the end or sex hallucinating or breathing or, you know, so it's interesting how the mind works. But specifically towards an experience with the Holy Spirit, I've had visions from God that uh, I truly believe and have felt in my heart and have led to repentance and have led to me being on my face, crying out to God and wanting to do nothing more than worship Jesus and read the Bible. What's that look like? Like for people who haven't experienced that before, what really, really does it look like? Like where are you and what happens and what do you see? Um, Well, uh, in the book, I'll just refer to the book, but there was a uh, three-month period, and I've experienced the Holy Spirit in a number of ways. And uh, the timeline for it is not on my, um, it's, it's not up to me, it's up to God. And if I never have another experience with the Holy Spirit, then um, I will be okay until the day I die. But uh, for this three months, I it, there was a tangible uh, essence. So imagine if you're blind and you feel the wind, but nobody else can, nobody sees it. You know, um, that's kind of what it felt like is like a spiritual tangible presence of the Holy Spirit. And uh, there would be times as well, whenever 
um, I would just be on my face uh, crying and a vision very similar to taking psychedelics or more honestly like uh, DMT, uh, more uh, just a little, little bit clearer, uh, more vivid um, would, would come from the Holy Spirit. And I would see things in the spirit realm uh, that were very transcendent, uh, that affected my heart, affected my soul, and that showed me things of the afterlife and uh, showed me things that I, you know, the essence and the um, reality of things that I was wrestling with in that moment. And sometimes there was a visionary state that's achieved from that. And then sometimes it is a um, like a physical feeling in your body. And then sometimes it's just in the mind's eye. Mm -hmm. um, and I find that even in taking mushrooms, it could be similar. Like sometimes I would get like a body high and I'd feel like literally I could like walk a mile, like in a handstand mm -hmm. or like I could run faster than I've ever run in my life or be more connected to my body. Um, and, you know, so, so I think that it, they can mirror that. Stronger or weaker than tripping with a drug? Clearer. Mm-hmm. Uh, is is how I would describe it. Um, less muddled, less fuzz, yeah. less... Uh, I agree. Like, I, I obviously am asking this question as somebody who has experienced this same sensation myself. I think stronger and weaker probably aren't the right words. It's kind of like apples and oranges. It's like, mm -hmm. it, it's like having a journey, but being fully lucid, fully in control, being able to remember everything write everything down and come out the other side and not feel like you've, you know, exhausted your serotonin levels or something like that. And it is, I wouldn't say controllable because you're experiencing whatever God wants you to experience and seeing whatever God wants you to see. But it's certainly something that is more accessible on a regular basis. And like you mentioned, results in a lot more clarity. Now, that being said, and this is where I've caught some flack, and I don't know what you think about this, Paul, but like there are certain things you can do to enhance the potential that your worship time or your devotion time or your spiritual time with God is going to result in something that might be a little bit more powerful or a little bit more, you know, I'm, I'm hesitant to throw this around, but you like plant medicine journeying-esque not that that's what we should be going for, but these are comparisons that we're attempting to draw to explain to people who, let's say, maybe have tripped on mushrooms but haven't, you know, had a had an intense experience with God, and that would be things like breath work, uh, burning of incense or other essential oils, really, really good music, uh, a, a place that's more sacred than sometimes just like I don't know, laying in bed in the morning with your Bible open. And sometimes even an ecstatic situation in which you're surrounded by a whole bunch of other people and some really big instruments in a worship session in a church getting blasted by the music with your hands up in the air with you know, 100 other voices singing along with you. Like There are certain things that I think enhance a spiritual experience that I don't think we can say are wrong because we're like upon them as like a crutch to be able to experience God more deeply. They're just, that's just like how God built us, right? To respond to sound and light and air and smells and the presence of other people and electromagnetic signals. Like, I actually don't think there's anything wrong with using, whether it's ancient wisdom or, or modern science, to enhance and deepen a spiritual experience. What do you think about that? 
for me personally, uh, fasting is a tremendous way to enhance it. Oh yeah, you're uh, right. I forgot about that. Yeah. Fasting to me has been the number one way. Like I, I hadn't fasted in a while and a couple of weeks ago, there was some pretty deep spiritual stuff I was wrestling with and praying through for some people I love and God just called me to fast and just did nothing but liquids for three days. And by day two, man, I mean, I just felt like God was just carrying me like on a cloud through the day and just wow. speaking to my heart and showing me how to pray, showing me what to pray for, and just a, an extreme lightness of being and almost like an emanating joy where I could almost like, I just wanted to just be crying, but not from sadness, just like from presence. Yeah. And so I f find that fasting for me is uh, a good way of doing that. Breathing, uh, you know. God says, be still and know that I'm God. There's a certain way you can breathe that leads to a stillness in your mind. Um, and God breathed into us a breath of life. Now, if there's an exact science behind the rhythm of it or anything like that, uh, that's up to each individual, I believe. And uh, you have to be careful with the origins of breathing because some of them have origins that uh, are not based spiritually in God. So just be aware of that. Um, Wait, what do you mean by that? Like tantric breathing, like. Um, Transcendental meditation, like there's there's different uh, forms of meditation or breathing that have a spiritual root that is outside of God. And if you are uh, practicing those things, um, uh, you have the ability to channel the spirit that is uh, at the root of the of that belief system. And so I think as long as you're aware that you're not doing that specifically, and that you are trying to connect to God and to know Him intimately and to uh, show your love for God by worshiping him and connecting to him, then yeah, that's, that's fantastic. Yeah. Cause I was going to say like, that's kind of like the yoga argument. It's like, yeah, you could be a Christian and go do yoga and do it for the stretching and ignore all of the spiritual components that might actually fly in the face of something like a Judeo Christian belief, you know, that might be coming from more Eastern or Buddhist orient orientations. And you'd still, be able to benefit from the yoga and the stretching and the down dog pose or whatever, because it's, it's good for your hamstrings or your shoulder complex. Similarly, I think like you could do even something like, let's say tantric breathing, right? Inhale deeply and slowly, then exhale out and empty your lungs. And a lot of times you're doing that in an audible way. And sometimes you're even doing it with your partner during sex to enhance the sexual experience. Well, I think that's that, like, there's nothing wrong with that. But I think once you start to acknowledge and try to tap into like Shiva and Shakti energy and begin to, you know, call upon Shiva or acknowledge the God Shakti or things like that, then I think you, you run the risk. So I, I don't think it's the breathing practice itself in terms of the mechanics of the breathing as much as the intention and the acknowledgement of what's going on during it. Let's talk about clothing. I'm actually wearing the exact clothing I'm about to give you a fat discount on right now. They are my Viore Banks shorts. So I can wear these things. I've been wearing them all weekend, actually. I wear them to church. <laughs> I can wear them in a workout. I actually worked out and went to church and had the same pair of shorts on the whole time. They're that good. Running, training, swimming, yoga, lounging, weekend errands, apparently religious activities now. Their products are incredibly versatile. They 100% offset their carbon footprint, uh, meaning any plastic footprint from the manufacturing of clothes. They take care of that. It's an investment in your happiness because honestly, it's hard not to feel good and look good when you're wearing these things. They're so freaking comfortable. You'll want to wear them all the time. Like 90% of my wardrobe is Viore, V-U-O-R-I. 
I. It's perfect if you're sick and tired of traditional old workout gear. Who wants that? Crap. All right, so viori.com slash Ben. Here's what you get. 20% off your first purchase. That's pretty huge. Free shipping on any U.S. order over 75 bucks and free returns. V-U-O-R-I.com slash Ben. Right, what's the problem with wine today? Well, wine is highly processed, just like our food. You know, I like wine just the same as you probably do. I drink a glass of wine almost every evening. But here's the problem. Three giant wine companies sell over 50% of the wine in the U.S., over 76 additives are currently legally approved for use in winemaking. We're talking dyes, thickeners, and GMO yeast. The top 20 wines sold in the U.S. contain very high levels of sugar and alcohol. And so basically, we're drinking poison a lot of the time. That's why you wake up and have a headache and you feel blah. I can drink. I don't do it, but I can drink two or three glasses of the type of wine that I actually drink. It's organic and biodynamic. It's sugar-free. It's low alcohol. It's lab-tested for purity. It's grown on small family farms. It's keto-approved. It's paleo-approved. It's got free shipping right to my door. It's called Dry Farm Wines. It's the best natural wine out there. They've got access to 55,000 acres of organic vineyards. All right. So a lot of these come from Europe where there's healthy soil and dynamic biodiversity using natural wine farming. They work with 600 small family farmers sourcing from over 600 of these small family growers, all who make their wine by hand using things like regenerative farming, avoiding machinery. Dry Farm Wines even helps to teach them a lot of the tactics that make for better wine. They save a billion gallons of water with this wine because you don't have to pour a bunch of water on wine. That makes it sweet and juicy. And we want our wine to be antioxidant, rich and tannic. And that's the way that these dry farm wines are. So I call them dry farm. They don't use much water, so it's better for the planet. Less than one-tenth of 1% 1 of the world's wines are grown to the standards of dry farm. But they pick them out for you. They cut out all of the work for you. And so you know guilt-free when that box arrives, every single one has been screened. They got free shipping, straight to your door, free of charge, 100% happiness. That means any bottle you don't like, they'll replace it or they'll refund it. And better yet, they're going to give any of my listeners an extra bottle of Dry Farm Wines in their first box for a penny. Yep, one penny. Because it's alcohol, they can't sell it for free. But here's what you do. You go to bengreenfieldlife.com forward slash dry farm wines. That's bengreenfieldlife.com slash dry farm wines. And that's all you need to get started with your dry farm wines adventure today. Drink the same wine I do. bengreenfieldlife.com slash dry farm wines. One of the one of the points I wanted to touch on, if we can go backwards just really quick on the similarities between a Holy Spirit experience uh, and psychedelics, is that uh, in writing the book, um, so I wrote it when I was 45 years old. And you mean the psychedelic Christian? Right, uh, the psychedelic Christian. And I literally had never shared with the public anything in the book, and it had been years uh, since I had a psychedelic experience and years uh, since I had the experiences that I wrote about in the book from the Holy Spirit. And if I'm perfectly honest, my memory faded around what those visions meant on in both realms. And uh, the meaning of the visions faded, and the importance and relevance of the visions faded. And through all of that, God showed me that his word, the Bible, is something that will never fade. And so if, uh, God forbid, I get dementia when I'm older and I don't remember a single vision I had from a, a mushroom trip or a you know experience with the Holy Spirit, God's word will never uh, change and it will be there for me even if I have dementia. And so that is kind of um, hmm. what I've had to learn and is one of the biggest mistakes I made as an early Christian was because I had such a profound experience with the Holy Spirit when I gave my life to Jesus 
and immediately started doing spiritual warfare and seeing the power of Jesus's name over uh, the demonic and over the spirit realm and the hierarchy of spirit that I didn't read the Bible. And I actually had trained myself to not like reading the Bible. And hmm. God had to convict me um, over time because uh, he had to show me how to read the Bible, and that's through prayer and that you're asking the Holy Spirit to reveal the words uh, and that they would come alive in my heart and affect my heart and soul and the way I think and the way I act and everything, planting seeds in my heart. And so it took me a couple of years um, of making some pretty bad mistakes and just um, during that time even saying, you know, the Holy Spirit told me this when it was really my own desire and I was manipulating what I believed uh, to be true in order to fit with my desires. And I believe that the Bible exists and it needs to hold hands with the relationship with the Holy Spirit because that Holy Spirit will never reveal something to you that isn't backed up by the Bible. Mm -hmm. You know, if someone says, well, you know, God, the Holy Spirit told me to leave my wife. It's like, eh, uh, it might feel like that. Yeah. But let's let's get into the Bible and see if the Bible verifies that, you know. Right. There there has to be some blending of absolute truth and what might be revealed to you via you know, what you might perceive as a spiritual experience or a plant medicine journey. Although, you know, playing devil's advocate, when it comes to the clarity of something like a journey— I I think that that can be mitigated. I think many people do this by using things like digital voice recorders and going back and playing them and transcribing them and getting everything written down. And, and you know, just the way that some of these medicines trigger the 5-HTA receptors and, you know, some of the other mechanisms in the body dictate that there's impaired motor function and impaired memory and things like that during, I don't think that necessarily discounts the powerfulness or the or the meaning of something like a plant medicine journey, uh, you know, I, I don't think that the presence or absence of clarity or the ability to be able to remember makes something right or wrong necessarily, because those are issues that can be skirted. I think the the deeper issue, at least for me, is venturing into some some dangerous spiritual realms in which your soul is at risk, combined with the fact that it appears from the Bible, at least from everything that I've studied of late that were actually warned pretty heavily against divining with the gods using drugs, which is basically the reason that lots and lots of people are using plant medicines now. Mm, yeah, that's good. Yeah. I hadn't considered using the technology you're describing. And, uh, you know, back then I think I may have just journaled some of it and kept the notes, but that's yeah. a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now in, in terms of the, the difference between a personal vision or revelation being uh, different from a psychedelic experience, I think the main thing that we've established here is that having a deeply spiritual experience is not necessarily wrong. Right? Like it's not considered to be like drunk or or being in an irresponsible state to use things like breath work, fasting, uh, worship, music, smells, and things of the like to enter into a deeply spiritual experience and. Uh, to to be able to you know divine with God so to speak in that state and that the difference is that one is achieved via popping pills and drugs or injections or whatnot and the other is achieved being you know on one's knees you know in the, in the living room or in the bedroom or in the, in the basement or in the backyard in prayer and I, I think that the the means or the avenue via which one reaches that spiritual experience is the main differentiating characteristic because the method of using drugs to reach that experience is rife with all sorts of other issues, both 
physical, but more concerningly spiritual when it comes to exposure to entities that kind of creep in when you're when you're venturing into those realms with your neurotransmitters ripped wide open in, in the type of state that they're in. And and so that kind of leads me to the next thing I want to ask you. People have these breakthroughs, right? When they take psychedelics and in many cases, they're good, right? Like they are able to tackle childhood trauma or uh, leave old beliefs about themselves behind or fix relationships because all of a sudden they're thinking in a new way after having taken psychedelics or entheogens and had a breakthrough. In other words, the fruits are good. The fruits are good. If the fruits are good, then what would you say is the problem? That's a good question. And uh, as a reflection of my own journey, um, there's two types of fruit. One is the fruit from the world, and the other one is fruit from God. And from a personal growth um, kind of path to enlightenment, to worldview, where you're transcending, you know, insecurities, fears, um, and moving up on uh, the awareness ladder. And it's, um, yeah, it's, you know, I'll give a very real example, and that's uh, after my divorce, whenever I you know, said everything was my ex-wife's fault um, and had a lot of anger, a lot of pain, a lot of uh, everything. And I took mushrooms one time. And in that experience, the mushrooms uh, just showed me what was, what I had inside my heart, what I had in my mind, what my habits were, what my manipulation was, what my, like how I was wrong. And, you know, it, it broke me whenever I realized that I couldn't blame her for everything. And, you know, that's a powerful thing. Most people will live their entire lives holding on to a narrative that is, you know, um, not very healthy for them or their growth or healing or anything. And so I would say that that was a good experience um, for me to see that in myself. But, you know, the bad part about it was that all of a sudden I felt a um, a kind of a hidden pride uh, that I was more aware than people around me, that I had, you know, experienced something uh, that, um, nobody else really does. And, you know, and so I had this uh, internal pride start to creep in because I started to become more advanced than other people. And so if if the end result of you overcoming fear and insecurity is that you are in control of your life and you have no need for God and no reliance on God, um, then the enemy is perfectly content with you trading fear and insecurity for pride. Like the enemy would love it if you just thought you could do everything on your own and be in charge. And if you, if he can give you a breakthrough, then, um, you know, and so that to me is the, the fruit of the world would seem like it's saying, yes, uh, having an experience like that is, is good. Um, but the fruit from God, God is saying, you know, come to me with all your fears, your insecurities, your doubts, trust in me, you know? And so that is, um, I believe the difference between those. Okay. So I, I guess what I'm getting at here is that, you know, you'll, you'll often hear people say, well, everything worked out in the end. Like, and, and I said this for years, Paul, that, you know, the, the fruits are good. And, you know, my wife and I were actually developing a much, much better relationship through our use of, you know, journeying combined with, you know, relationship drug use, meaning like, you know, MDMA and, and, you know, other compounds while undergoing therapy. And, uh, also I experienced a lot of like business breakthroughs and personal breakthroughs and what I would 
considered to be or described as spiritual growth via my own use of plant medicines. But and this this is something I write about in the article that even though I was convinced at the time that because the fruits were good, everything was all right, I guess I didn't take into consideration two things. And this is what I'm getting at. One, I was playing with fire because every time that I would use those drugs, I was entering into a spiritual realm where, yeah, I got lucky and this didn't happen probably because I was a Christian and was protected by God and, and, you know, and, and I, I think I had a, a higher power watching my back, but I could have at some point, if I kept doing that type of thing, you know, on a quarterly or a couple of times a year type of basis, encountered some type of entity at some point in some type of realm that could have possessed me or negatively influenced me in some manner. That's the first problem. And the second problem is like for every nine of me who have a great experience, there's going to be like one person who has a really, really bad experience, either sexual abuse from some type of a shaman who wants to take advantage of them or encountering some type of entity, maybe that I didn't encounter, but that somebody else would or having a so-called bad trip and getting really messed up. I can't say that I have ever had the doubt at the back of my mind that if I told someone to pray in the morning and read their Bible and sing a song and burn some incense and do some breath work, that there was a little bit of a potential that I could really F them up. Right. <laughs> but with plant medicine, like there is it's pretty strong potential for something like that. That's why I think the, the, you know, the fruits are good, bro type of argument kind of breaks down. Yeah. And those, the people that have, um, you know, in a very real way, I, whenever I was engaged in those realities as a part of communities of people, and um, there are some pretty crazy things that happened. And I saw friends that I truly love that I don't talk to anymore uh, because they got taken over um, by very powerful spirits that taught them how to manipulate that. Um, and some of my friends ended up going to insane asylums. Um, some were just kind of shattered and broken, um, you know, and so those are the stories that don't get told. Yeah. And those are the stories that, uh, get swept under the rug. And then the person with the biggest following who has the biggest breakthrough and they, you know, kind of see through their own, their story. And then they, you know, they change their entire lives and, uh, it's wonderful. Um, I believe that is, can be part of, you know, that experience. And I, you know, even in the many times that I did it, I would say that, from the world's perspective, most of them were good. I think there were two trips that I had where uh, this person I was around, I saw the vampiric nature um, <laughs> of our relationship, and it just it just scared me. I just wanted to get as far away from them as possible. And then uh, the other time was right whenever I gave my life to Christ, and I was uh, while I was doing all of these um, psychedelics and, you know, living off grid and, uh, you know, you do cleansing, not eating for like 30 days at a time, just on liquids and super calorie deficient, but a uh, different period. But, uh, I, I was lucid dreaming as well. And I could lucid dream like nine out of 10 times and pretty much on command, do whatever I wanted in my dreams. And as if it was reality. And yeah. I, uh, I was taken over in my dreams by these three dark entities that were like black holes. And they were taunting hmm. me because I thought I was powerful and they're like hey you know you think you're you're powerful why don't you come play with us they're like literally in my dreams they're like just taunting me and i was just i was like all right i'm gonna go and fly over here in my dream so i'd fly and then they would just be there and they were like so dark and so evil feeling like what was coming off of them in my dreams that i literally couldn't sleep and then i started to lose control of my thoughts for the first time in my life and i mean i could you know take a 
party of eight and, you know, uh, just remember their order while tripping and talk to them like as if nothing, like I could control my thoughts pretty well and how I acted. Mm -hmm. But in that place, like, and that is the thing is at a certain point, I believe if you continue the journey, you're going to interface with the the spiritual nature to such a degree where you either have to give your life to Jesus or you go crazy. And I haven't met, I've met a bunch of people who have done a bunch of psychedelics at an early age, and then they usually have that one experience. They're like, oh, I'm good. <laughs> I yeah. kind of went crazy for a week, and uh, I'm good now, and I don't ever need to do ayahuasca yeah. again. Or I don't, you know, and so it's it's interesting. I think the longer you continue, it's, I think it's an unsustainable reality you're subjecting yourself to. Yeah, that kind of happened to me when I started to write about this stuff and talk about it. I had a lot of people who are angry about me attacking their precious, you know, grandmother ayahuasca or grandfather ibogaine or, you know, or the psilocybin that they'd found so much relief through. And I've had at least a dozen people reach out who said that and then came back to me in the past eight months and were like, dude, I had no clue what you were talking about. I should have mm. listened. Here's what happened. I had such, such a trail. I'm now in detox or I hurt this person or I got a divorce and I should have listened because it finally happened what you were warning me about. And now I don't know how to get rid of this really strange, dark feeling inside of me and these nightmares and waking up with heaviness on my chest. And, you know, so it is kind of interesting because it's, you know, it's like they say, it's all fun and games till somebody puts out an eye and that's, it's, it's kind of <laughs> what happens. And you can go listen like the, um, the New York magazine launched its first ever investigative series podcast called cover story. I'll link to it in the show notes. If you go to bengreenfieldlife.com slash Christian psychedelic. And in that podcast, they get into a lot of the dark side, not just like damage to the Amazon via environmental ayahuasca tourism, but also sexual abuse by shamans, people developing schizophrenia and bipolar, like all this stuff that kind of gets swept under the rug when there are discussions, I don't know, with like, you know, Joe Rogan and Michael Pollan or Aubrey Marcus and Aaron Rodgers, you know, all these people you hear talking about a lot of this stuff these days. I just wish people would talk more about some of the start stuff that's starting to happen with mass acceptance and use of psychedelics. And then probably to me, like one of the more concerning issues regarding back to the fruits thing is that, yeah, maybe the fruits are good and they're amazing. And let's say nothing bad ever happens. Do you really want to give the impression to like billions of people who can't afford this stuff or don't have access to mushrooms or whatever? I know some people say they can be grown in mass for cheap, but let, but right now it's not the case. Do you really want to give people the impression that the only way, the only path to spiritual enlightenment is very, via this secret hidden knowledge and access to these special mind tweaking chemicals that if you don't have them, you're never going to be on the same spiritual path as the people who do have access to them? Because in my opinion, that's a pretty crappy way to be able to spread love and light across the world is to have it tied to a drug experience. The love and light that I believe in and that I spread as a Christian is that it's free. Like, yeah, having a Bible helps, even though God can reveal himself to you in other ways. But for the most part, it's free and you don't have to keep coming back to it over and over again to, you know, and getting, getting tripped out to, to take things to the next level, you know? Mm -hmm. That's so true. Yeah. What about like medicinal use, like in the proper set and setting for some of this stuff? Like, let's say, um, deep seated trauma that let's say somebody's been like, let's, let's say like a Christian, right? They've been going to a pastor and they've been seeking God's help and they've been doing all the things and they, 
may need some kind of like an intense state shift and a disconnection from the frontal cortex and a little bit of an altered state of consciousness to be able to tap into memories that they can't get at. So they got to like hammer into that section of the brain with ketamine or something like that with a doctor standing by um, or somebody who maybe hasn't really been able to connect to their partner for years and knows that if they were to take like oxytocin and MDMA and sit with them in bed for six hours, staring at them deep in the face and have this long discussion they've always wanted to have that it, it could indeed help. And they're not like going to the Peru, you know, and getting possessed by demons in the Amazon or something like that. <laughs> but it's more of like a medical set and setting with a specific use and intention. What are your thoughts on, on that? And, and again, I, when I say specific use of intention, specifically not to like divine with God or like enter into a spiritual realm as much as to have like a deeper connection with a partner or to tap into a part of the brain that they just can't tap into in a state that their neurotransmitters are currently in, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think to use God's creation medicinally and with wisdom and with prayer uh, is a personal conviction. Um, biblically, I believe that uh, you are supposed to pray about that and bring it before God. And if you have that relationship, then God will convict you one way or the other. And I do believe that um, any part of God's creation has medicinal value and can be used wisely. Um, and that would just be up to each couple or individual in that situation. And um, I would say that uh, I'll give you a quick story. This goes to the core of it for me. So I have a, a friend and um, his wife uh, at the age of 12 had um, cancer uh, in her brain and uh, they were able to drill into her skull and they were able to uh, take some of the cancer out and then they did a chemo drip on the rest of it and uh, it, it eliminated the cancer, but it permanently uh, affected her brain to where she experienced depression. And uh, so uh, they, she was a woman of faith and uh, she prayed for years. I mean, I prayed for her multiple times that God would take away the depression. And I believe that sometimes depression is a spiritual state and sometimes it is a chemical imbalance of the brain. And, you know, I prayed that both God would, uh, you know, heal her brain. And if it was spiritual, uh, that God would have more power in Jesus' name, like whatever spirit it is, be gone. And, um, and they came to me. And they said, Paul, would you uh, would you suggest that we do mushrooms? Because she's taken literally every super smart woman, taken every uh, kind of drug that the doctors have prescribed to her, and some of them help for like a week, week and a half, and all of a sudden, like she's getting suicidal or getting, you know, um, just hallucinating or um, like almost bipolar tendencies. And uh, it's like, well, is it better that we're giving? And as a Christian, we're okay if they go to the doctor and they have a synthetic form of a drug and it creates <laughs> as a side effect a hallucination or suicidal mm -hmm. thoughts, but we're not okay. Like can't have peace with subjecting ourselves to God's creation to see if it can heal in a much more natural way. And um, I, I kind of look to the past and the future. And I think in the future as Christians, what we'll do is we'll, we'll say, yeah, well, there's this weird time where there's this programming um, uh, where we, every, everything was illegal and the government made God's creation illegal. And perhaps that was wise in some ways. And then perhaps uh, in other ways, uh, we're limiting the potential of healing in our world. And I'm not saying to that, that, 
drugs should be used to go and have a full-on heroic journey, but I'm saying if there's medicinal value to it, why should we not consider it? And so I think that's really the heart of the issue for me is uh, conviction before God and um, having wisdom and um, you know, consulting people who have actually uh, gone through the process and who understand it as well. Yeah, I think my take on this is that in, in the right set and setting, if you're aware of some of these risks and they can be mitigated, that there is a time and a place. Because let's face it, like if we were to say, well, there's there's risk of this potentially causing harm, then you'd have to like rule out like penicillin and amoxicillin and things that can impact the biome, which can have a direct effect on the, I mean, the biome can have an effect on not just the gut, but also the way that the mind goes and depression and anxiety and dreams and lucid visions. And like, there's all sorts of kind of like slippery slopes. I think that for me, the big picture here is a who's facilitating and has that person been vetted? And especially, you know, are, are they like some shaman who's in it for commercial interests or sexual interests or something like that? Or is this like a physician who's standing by who has a, a very clean protocol in mind to be able to help you out with something specifically that this drug is actually indicated for. And that could include like a relationship or a trauma or an end of life therapy or a cancer management type of issue. So I, I think that's one thing is who's overseeing and in what set and setting. I think that the other thing to think about is what you've done before that point, because I think a lot of people who like, let, let's say that someone has convinced you that in order to fix your relationship with your spouse, you need to take MDMA and like sit with them for hours, staring at them deep in the eye, having a long discussion. Well, I guess my question for you would be firsthand, have you tried that without MDMA? Have you gone a bunch of long walks right. together and just like sat and talked together and prayed together? And, and this is the same thing with spiritual journeying. You know, people who are like, I, I think I just need to journey, bro. Like, I think that's going to be the solution to this deep seated trauma inside me. I say, well, did you go out in the forest and fast for three days, some water and a Bible and take that time that you'd normally devote to your plant medicine journey and your dieta and your post journey, you know, journaling and everything. And just like go off in a fully sober state and try that first. It's kind of like testosterone therapy with dudes who are just like, yeah, I have poor libido and I'm not gaining muscle like the way that I want to. And my performance has decreased and, you know, I'm not doing so well sexually. And I think I need to get on testosterone right away. Well, I say, are you sleeping? Are you de-stressing? <laughs> and are you covering the bases like vitamin D and magnesium and boron and zinc and avoiding chronic cardio and lifting heavy stuff with your legs and, and, and paying attention to all this low hanging fruit and this natural fruit first, or are you just going to the big guns first because, you're either lazy or misinformed or want an easy way out. So I think that in addition to the set and setting and the person who's overseeing it, you also have to make sure that you've exhausted all the other options first. And then I, I think the last thing that should be acknowledged here is that let's say somebody has done all that and maybe a couple comes to me and they're like, Ben, can you hook me up with the person who you used for MDMA therapy? Because we either have some relationship issues we want to sort or we're doing great. We just want to do this together to deepen our relationship. Then I would also heavily consider where that person is spiritually, right? Because I wouldn't actually send a couple who, and I, I realize this might sound like it's stereotyping or being mean or kind of like that. Oh, if you don't believe in Jesus, you're going to hell type of argument. 
But if somebody is not in a good place spiritually, and specifically, if somebody isn't a Christian and they're a friend of mine who comes to me and wants to do that, I know that by me greenlighting it and connecting them with my source, then they're going to be going into a spiritual space where there's stuff that could happen that goes beyond what they might experience with their partner. And, um, and, and they might not be able to handle that and they might not have protection in that space. And, and I think that again, it's, it's playing with fire, but in a little bit more serious way when, when you're entering into that space without that type of protection, without the protection of God on board. And so I realized that for someone who's not a Christian, that just sounds silly. But if you were going to come to me and ask me about my source for drugs or, you know, the right set and say and do this and who I should connect you with, that would actually be one thing that I would say to you is, are you a Christian? And if the answer is no, I would say, well, we need to take care of some other things first. So let's take care of that first, <laughs> you know? Mm. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Um, I think, you know, when I first discovered you, it was actually kind of interesting to me because um, you were pro uh, in some ways that I didn't have freedom in. And I saw you more as like a an experimenter with life in general. You, like you didn't have a line or a category that you weren't willing to say, yeah, let's just try it and see what happens. Like you're just getting feedback from the world and the substances in the world. And uh, it's, it has been interesting to observe you start to get some parameters and some lines that you feel comfortable or not comfortable um, suggesting. And that's, I think that's wisdom. Yeah, for sure. And obviously a lot of things to think about. And I, I would welcome people to jump into the discussion too, over at bengreenfieldlife.com slash Christian psychedelic, the number two, if you have your own take on a lot of this stuff. Um, I, I do have a, a couple other questions for you, Paul, if you, if you have the time. Um, yep. and, and the, the first thing that I'm curious about is, you know, regarding um, psychedelic communities, kind of like turning into religions or being involved with religions, right? So, um, you know, we're, we're now seeing this stuff getting rolled out as a part of churches and we're beginning to see it in itself beginning to function as a type of religion. We're even seeing the writings of a guy like Brian Marascu and the book, The Immortality Key, indicating that this stuff has a role to play in the church and Christianity what are your thoughts on on the intersection between psychedelics and religion in general? Yeah, I think that the psychedelic communities that I'm observing in America are turning into religions. And, you know, whenever I engaged with those substances before, like I had some friends who did them with me or something, and, you know, we would kind of describe our experiences to each other. But uh, I don't think we ever used the word ego death. Uh, we never used uh, the word grandmother. We never used um, heroic dose. Uh, maybe after discovering Terrence McKenna back in the day, heroic dose, I believe he popularized that term. But I'm just seeing more and more now when people have these experiences that they actually have a language that allows them to categorize their experience. And that is the beginnings of a religious um, system. And um, to me, that is such an interesting observation uh, to see in America because we're kind of adopting these practices from uh, some indigenous cultures that have specific language. Um, and then I've also, what I've been really, really curious about is um, there's a podcast called Blurry Creatures and they did one on what you what people see. Oh yeah, I just found that podcast, Blurry Creatures. It's pretty cool. 
Oh, that's awesome. I love it. Um, but uh, yeah, what people see on DMT, and there is a repetition of the same types of beings and entities that are experienced with people who have no you know, prior knowledge of those things. And to me, uh, what that is doing is it's showing that there is a very clear spiritual route to subjecting yourselves to that um, specific, um, if it's DMT or ayahuasca or whatever it is, there is a spirit behind it. And because uh, if it was just a random hallucination, you know, you wouldn't have the same person or like a hundred people and 90 of them describe a blue being coming to them and revealing things or a snake. It's like, no, they would just be talking about like the most random things if it was pure hallucination. And so I believe there is a spirit that is behind these things and it's revealing itself through language. And the more clear that it becomes we're actually watching a new form of religion come into being in America and there is a spirit behind it that will be more clearly defined and we're actually literally watching it now um, whenever people in the, everyone just nods their heads and shakes us I've been through the ego death yes I transcended yes my lineage needs healing yes you know um, I am the observer there is duality you know it's just this language has started to emerge and it's just so fascinating to me because you know in the christian world you know if you study theology there's a specific language that starts to emerge around different doctrines and that's the exact same thing that's happening with psychedelics and people that are like oh it's all about freedom and lack of control and it has nothing to do with controlling religion it's actually turning into a religion there's some irony there yeah i i think that you know the the idea that entheogens were using the early church doesn't necessarily mean that they were they were right i mean i think that's you know when paul wrote to the corinthians warning against their use i think he was actually referring to that amongst other things i think that when we see a lot of this stuff as you were alluding to in the akashic record or in universal human consciousness and these same patterns and geometric shapes and entities emerge i think that some of them are um, okay, right? I, I think that God created the universe mathematically, and there are Fibonacci sequences and sacred geometrical sequences and things that were apparently based on some of my readings of of the Bible and the Book of Enoch and other scriptures uh, revealed to human beings by by gods and by the Nephilim and by angels. You know, everything from metallurgy to plant medicines to you know the secrets of music and sounds and frequencies and you know, other things that humans discovered early on, I do think that a lot of that came to them spiritually. I don't think that means that all of it is wrong. And I also think that the fact that many people see the same shapes, the same structures, the same kaleidoscopy geometry type of figures in their heads is not just because that's the way that serotonin and dopamine and GABA, et cetera, are firing. And those neurochemicals have specific signatures that people see in the same way universally. But I think that we are designed so to speak, to actually have a mathematical awareness of certain elements of our psyche that allow us to interact with this universe in the way that it's been designed in a very mathematical way. And, you know, and, and we, you know, and that that's all the way down to our DNA, for example. And so, yeah, that means that, that we have an eye for beauty, we have an eye for structure, and certain things can be revealed to us, you know, via visions and dreams, et cetera. And some of that takes on the shape of you know certain geometries, etc. But then when we start to see recurrences of the same entities and the same alien-like figures, and a lot of the stuff that's talked about in that podcast that you mentioned called Blurry Creatures, I think that a lot of those are the type of entities that we're describing that when you're venturing into 
this psychedelic realm, you're putting yourself at risk of being influenced by. And again, I would say that for me, I kind of sort of want to say, well, I'm okay. I'm a Christian. I can handle those things. I'm not going to be influenced by them, or at least I know what to do when I encounter these creatures. And that's what I would have said up until like a year and a half ago, until I really familiarized myself with the fact that despite me kind of like wanting to journey and liking it and enjoying those plant medicine experiences and feeling as though I was safe in those realms, the Bible flat out says as a Christian that it's a sin for me to be divining with the gods using plant medicines. And so I just can't anymore with right conscience do it, you know? Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you. And uh, that I think that is going to be the interesting part for me, and this is something that I've had tension with. Uh, as an example, if you have somebody who goes, uh, let's say they're Vietnam veterans, so they went to Vietnam, they experienced the horrific nature of it, they had to kill people, they had to do things they never imagined, they saw things they never imagined. Let's say that they didn't know Christ before they went to Vietnam, um, and so they come home, they give their life to Jesus Christ. Uh, their, their lives are completely changed, they have peace and joy. That person, if they hear uh, an explosion or if they hear a gunshot or if they hear a door open behind them, their relationship with Jesus Christ doesn't change their perception of that that catalyst in their environment or that noise. Like you're going to still remember what it was like to be in Vietnam and react in a way that would be protective to them, perhaps in a way that someone who hadn't been been to Vietnam um, would not react to. And I think the same thing can be applied to people who have engaged psychedelics who are now Christians is there is like that awareness of those experiences and the insights don't leave you when you have Jesus. You just realize that you don't need them. Uh, they're almost like partial truths and Jesus is the full truth. And um, that to me is interesting to observe, especially like if you were to go to a random, you know, a church where you don't know anyone and you just observe the audience and there will be, you know, a guy there who um, you can tell just treats his wife like crap and doesn't love his kids and he is closed off to everyone and he's just not aware at all. And there's a part of me that says, why doesn't the Holy Spirit just break that man? If he says he knows Jesus, why is the Holy Spirit not just revealing himself to that man and, and showing him how to love his family and his kids? Because I know if that guy went into the woods and took, you know, some mushrooms that he, he wife loves me and I treat her like crap. Oh, my kids, all they do is want my attention and all I do is ignore them. Oh, my eating, I'm about to have a heart attack. My body is like telling me these things. You know, it's it's an interesting thing to have subjected yourself to those experiences before and then to bring that into the Christian faith and to uh, almost like pray and wonder like, Holy Spirit, please do um, in these people and in me and in in everybody uh, what the world uh, can do through a psychedelic. And, um, and I believe the Holy Spirit can, and I believe that that is God's choice and his sovereignty and his timeline on how that happens. And me wanting to subject the person to that for their personal growth is selfish. And it's me pretending like I know better than God. Um, but it's, that is a tension that I have having, you know, lived those experiences and observing, uh, Christianity as a whole. Um, do you have any thoughts like that that you ever have? Yeah, I, I think I tend to agree with it. I think that that your book, The Psychedelic Christian, it, it really outlines that whole journey and thought process really well. But yeah, I mean, I 
I agree with it. I like, I, I think that there is a certain use case, um, a certain set and setting and a certain intention behind some of these compounds beyond microdosing in which they might be acceptable. I think that the idea of using them to divine with the gods or to enhance a religious or spiritual experience is flat out out banned, not in the book any longer. And then when it comes to relationships, end of life therapy, trauma, etc., that there are some very serious things that need to be taken into account. Who is facilitating? What's the set and setting? And uh, what is the spiritual status of the person or people engaging with these? And then the very last thing I'd throw in there is I think that there's a lot of unpredictability and a lot of kind of like, um, uh, I, I guess like tradition behind the use of plants like ayahuasca or psilocybin or wachuma or whatnot that kind of carry with them this dark spiritual energy that is a little bit unpredictable and unwieldy that I have never experienced with synthetic alternatives to those compounds. And so I think that the last criteria that I would throw in there would be even if you fit into all those categories, well, like it's the right set and setting and you've got the right facilitator and the intention is not to divine with gods or anything like that. And you're in the right place spiritually that you should choose synthetics instead of plants. I, I just feel like and this is based on personal experience that you have a lot better control and there's a lot more predictability based around these synthetic compounds. I think that, you know, the fact that the creator made human beings with the ability to be able to create and we can create some safe and effective and clean alternatives to the unpredictable ones that we find out in the natural plant kingdom dictates that those would be a lot smarter to use if you do have a legitimate medical use and need for some of these compounds. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I would yeah. I would uh, say I would disagree, but uh, not uh, not enough for it to, <laughs> to be an issue. Um, I, I think just because mostly all I ever did was eat, uh, I would say ninety eight percent of the things I partook in were mushrooms, and you know, salvia is way more intense uh, than than my, the, the trip. Yeah. Uh, acids a little more electric and like um, like sharper. Um, TCBs, you know, like a rainbow and a symphony, having a baby in reality in front of you, you know. So it's 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 a uh, yeah, it's an interesting exploration of thought for sure. But yeah, it's interesting that you may have subjected yourself to more synthetics than I did. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's a, there's a definite difference, a definite difference. And, and I think that the fact that little G God and big G God divine with people via nature, you know, skirting that issue of some of the unpredictability of some of the plant compounds uh, is a little bit safer way to go. Again, if there's a safe and legitimate and right reason to be using them in the first place. So, yeah. So it, it's just, it's so interesting to navigate a lot of this. And I think, again, like back to the big picture issue is, frankly, at the end of the day, I think a lot fewer people than are currently using these type of compounds uh, should be using them. And or, or, or a lot fewer people uh, uh, need to be using these compounds based on the, the impression 
that I get of the people who are using them as like a shortcut or as an excuse and they're not aware of some of the dangers. And so I think your book gives really good perspective to this as well. I realize that people have probably heard me do like eight podcasts on this now. So I hope you're not sick of me talking about this <laughs> stuff. I just think that occasionally, you know, revisiting this and having a nice discussion with another person who's well-versed with all this can be useful for bringing other topics to the table. And again, this is an ongoing discussion. So if you want to to join the discussion, you can go to bengreenfieldlife.com slash Christian Psychedelic 2. bengreenfieldlife.com slash Christian Psychedelic 2, like the number two. And you can pop in with your own comments and questions and feedback and more. That all being said, Paul, I think we're we're getting a little bit short on time, but I'm super grateful that that you were able to join me and, and chat about this a little bit more. Yeah, enjoyed the conversation, Ben. I appreciate uh, your stance right now and um, what you're offering to the world. And I just pray that God will continue to bless your life. And uh, yeah, enjoyed this conversation. Thanks, man. Thanks. God bless you, bro. And uh, let's keep in touch. And folks, uh, you can get the book, The Christian Psychedelic. I'll put a link to it in the show notes at bengreenfieldlife.com slash Christian Psychedelic 2. Until next time, I'm Ben Greenfield, along with Paul Reese, signing out from bengreenfieldlife.com. Have an amazing week. All right, this is cool, but you want to pay attention because it's coming up right around the corner on Friday, December 2nd. You're going to get a chance to join me and some really powerful healing physicians down in Sarasota, Florida. This is a live event. It goes from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. I'll be there. My friend and the brilliant former podcast guest, the Dr. Strange of Medicine, Dr. John Lawrence, is going to be there. HBOT USA, Dr. Jason and Melissa Saunas are going to be there with their hyperbaric oxygen therapy. Brian Richards of Sauna Space, Harry Paul, uh, one of John's friends who I recently met, who's also an amazing healer for an event that's super unique. It's all based around the elements, earth, fire, air, and water with a ton of treatments and technologies and modalities and very unique biohacks that you're going to get exposed to during the entire event. Basically, what I mean by that is when it comes to air, you're going to learn about hyperbaric oxygen and ozone and air filtration, everything you need to know to upgrade your air. When it comes to earth, pulsed electromagnetic field therapy, earthing, grounding, a host of other ways that you can use the power of the planet to enhance your health, your sleep, your recovery, your muscle gain, your fat loss, a lot more. More. Water, you'll learn about proper water filtration, how to upgrade your water, hydrogenated water, structured water, basically soup to nuts, everything you need to know about water and how to apply it in your home, in your office, in your life. And then finally, fire. This is a fun one. Lots of cryotherapy, a little bit of ice too, breath work, inner fire practices, a ton of stuff when it comes to introducing the element of fire into your life. So this event is super unique. John and I have been working on it behind the scenes and it has come together amazingly. There's even a VIP experience. If you sign up for the VIP experience, you could come two days early or stay a few days after the event. And basically, uh, you will get all the medical protocols customized by Dr. John and his staff if you claim one of those 10 VIP spots. That'll include like IV methylene blue, laser treatments, John's really unique bliss release, which is basically an endonasal adjustment, which is essentially like a chiropractic adjustment through your nose for your entire skull, which if you've had TBI or concussion or allergies or things like that in the past, it totally reboots that entire system. There's going to also be uh, ozone treatments, Myers 
IV cocktails, exosome treatments, IV laser, access to a CVAC machine, and John's entire facility is going to be at your beck and call if you got one of the VIP tickets. And then we're also probably going to have a little bit of a party later on in the evening after this event. The whole thing is going to be a pinch me. I'm dreaming full on cutting edge of biohacking experience. And I'm just now letting the world know about it. So spots are going to fill up pretty fast. Space is limited. But if you want to get in now, here's how. You go to bengreenfieldlife.com forward slash elements dash event. That's bengreenfieldlife.com forward slash elements dash event. It's in Sarasota, Florida. Again, it's all day Friday, December 2nd. I would come in early and stay after if you just want to try out all the crazy modalities there. You know, I don't know how fast those VIP tickets are going to sell out, but either way, this thing is going to be absolutely amazing. I just can't wait. Like I'm pinching myself. Can't wait to be on the plane to head down there and do this. So check it out. Ben Greenfield life forward slash elements dash event. And I'll see you there. I hope. More than ever these days, people like you and me need a fresh, entertaining, well-informed and often outside the box approach to discovering the health and happiness and hope that we all crave. So I hope I've been able to do that for you on this episode today. And if you liked it, or if you love what I'm up to, then please leave me a review on your preferred podcast listening channel, wherever that might be. And just find the Ben Greenfield Life episode. Say something nice. Thanks so much. It means a lot.